I think it's important to be a little bit scared or have a little bit of fear of what we're doing. We actually are all going through the same level of insecurity, no matter how successful we become. Welcome to The Impostress. The Impostress is hosted by me, Michael Knox, and Graham Drew, two rather insecure frauds who will be exploring the motivating and debilitating experiences we all have with imposter syndrome, with a sneaky suspicion that it might just be your superpower if you let it. And I just remember standing on a cliff in Ireland, chucking chips in the air. How on earth am I, what am I doing here? My dyslexia is my secret weapon and I use it every day. (sighs) Morning, Michael. How are you doing? Morning, Graham. Nice and early. Yeah. What time is it over there? Just after seven. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Never mind. Let's gargle with honey and get on with this. Um, Who have we got today? Laura Petricelli. Now, Laura is one of those stories. You know how they say, be careful to people on your way up because you're going to meet them on your way down? Laura is living proof of that. Cool. There's lots of those with you, isn't there? (laughs) There are. Oh, hello, Laura. Oh, hello, Michael Knox. How are you? How are you going? I'm going good. I'm going much better this week than I was last week, let me tell you. Noxie's going to leave this one because he actually knows you. Yeah, yeah, that that makes sense. But feel yeah. free to jump in. Of course. Well, we're, we're, just, um, we're just really enjoying the fact that we have microphones now and it feels very <laughs> You're a great professional. Noxie's gone for the more phallic version, which uh, just sort of wow. teases us what's below. What's below. <laughs> okay, so Laura, welcome. So you are the thank you. You are um, ECD of could be Silverstein in San Francisco, which was Fast Company's number one most innovative company. You've created Super Bowl ads with the likes of Peter Dinklage, Little Nas X, Sam Elliott, Matthew McConaughey, even Morgan Freeman, if we mention him, and convinced Post Malone <laughs> to get a new face tat. One club's next creative leader list. And can you hear my dog barking? That's the realism of this. That's my biggest um, That's my biggest fan back there. And 30 most creative people in advertising from business leader, Adwick's Hottest 100 list. You've won Can oh Lions. You've led juries. Are you worried about being found out that perhaps you're not as good as that list sounds? <laughs> Literally, as you're reading that, Knox, I'm like, that isn't me, even though it is. It's overwhelming hearing it all in a row. Um so yeah, I'm waiting for someone to to call bullshit on all of that. But apparently it's all true. So that's that's an exciting thing. But you've Googled well, Knox. Well, you've made things up, I'm not sure. Bit of both. Yeah, it's it's all it's all true. So just on this subject, you come from a very creative background. Your father's a well-known Lou is a well-known Lou Petrocelli is a well-known photographer in, in Melbourne, and your brother is a highly acclaimed. I was looking at his list of accolades and I'm sure your mother Lynn has contributed to this was there anything about growing up in that environment that you think has made you resilient enough to perform in the creative industry to the level that you have yeah I mean honestly my dad my dad being in advertising and a photographer since you know obviously when I was little like no one really knows what advertising is like unless you watch Mad Men now you really don't know what it is until someone tells you hey you'd be good at advertising but I kind of grew up with it around me so my dad kind of is also like a psycho Italian perfectionist which I think (laughs) plays a really big role in like me turning into a little bit of that and I think my brother kind of went under the same rule of thumb of like 
wanting to be perfect. And I, it's funny because like growing up, I just always thought my dad was perfect. But the more that you get to know how people like that operate and behave, they're actually just acting on the fear of not being good enough the entire time. Like when I talk about my dad sometimes to him about the things he's achieved, the first thing he does, he gets embarrassed and a little shy about it, you know, and he starts to question himself. And he's like, oh, I wish I did this and I wish I did that. But it, and it really is just the, the thing that's driven him this whole time is being concerned that he isn't good enough. And like, I remember as a kid, he'd wake up at like four in the morning and go to work to the studio for, before a shoot even started to like test out things and stuff like that. And now I've grown up and I get up at 4am and I start freaking out about things. And it's just, it's just funny how you repeat the patterns that you've watched with like successful people around you and you sort of do the same thing, but we actually are all going through the same level of insecurity, no matter how successful we become. Um, so I think, I think growing up around that had a big impact on me. And like my brother is opera singer, as you said, like even from a young age, he was, which was fucking terrible as a teenager growing up next to this, he would practice scales at seven in the morning every single day. And like yeah. that kind of growing up around that intensity, I think just turns you into an intense person. And it's, it's cool because you don't want to not be passionate about something when the rest of the house is, you know, um, and that sort of turns into obsession of sorts. Do you think it made you competitive? Are you a competitive person? Oh, I'm so competitive, mate. Like I can't not be. I definitely think it's healthy to be competitive, but it's okay. like I've also lost things before, you know, and I think that's a good side of it to be on that you've experienced losing as well as winning. Yeah. So now you're in um, a creative department and have been for a number of years and they can yeah. be great places to work in, um, lots of fun. And they also have the ability to be quite intimidating. When was the first time that you felt like you you didn't actually belong there? You you weren't actually going to make it. You weren't going to fit in. And um, how did you get past that? How did you keep going? I think, I mean, a couple of memories come to mind. When I was back in Australia, obviously I worked with you and we worked on TAC back in the day, the Transport Accident Commission, all of those bloody gory ads about car crashes on TV. I think the first time I felt like the first time I really didn't feel like I belonged was when like you sort of show up and you don't really have any skills yet. All you really have is like a couple of interesting insights as a junior, you know, you haven't really applied it to a script yet. You haven't really applied it to like presenting it even. Um, and I remember presenting to, to Nigel Dawson um, from, from back in the day, a very famous copywriter, very talented guy. And we just came from completely different worlds because at that point he was in his 60s and I was 20 whatever years old young 20s and presenting to him I just wasn't getting through and he threw a sharpie at me because he was so frustrated <laughs> and I just love that story because like you can just if you if you still can't communicate your thing to the audience it was a good lesson for me that that, that still means you're gonna you're failing right and so I just felt like I didn't I didn't fit in with his with his school of thought or the way that he would create an ad and like that became a really big problem for me because you know, you have to try and find a way to like to work with the directors or the creative directors that you have above you so that you can speak their language. So, so that, I mean, that, that was a tough turning point for me. I still feel like I turn up to stuff today even. And, you know, sometimes you end up looking around and you're like, why is everyone listening to me? But you just have to trust that you're there for the reason that you're there for. So is, is, is there any particular advice then you, you'd give to someone turns up to your department on their first day or their first week or whatever yeah. it is, they're fresh out of college? I think the main thing to do 
But what I've come to learn, especially like internship programs and things like that, is there's really barely ever a program. There's no like proper avenue for them to succeed or get in front of the right people. My 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 advice would be to like go and find the briefs that are better than where you're at and try and have a crack at them. Just get those ideas in front of the creative directors because no creative director is ever going to say, oh, shit, you know, why did you work on this? They're just going to be excited that you gave something a shot and may, probably more often than not steal your idea and take credit for it. But I think there's like such a fear when you start that you just have to do the work that you're given. But really, you can you can take a stab at absolutely any brief. Like the first the first Super Bowl brief I ever worked on, which was like five years ago, literally Rich Silverstein was just running around the top floor of the building, scream like yelling, oh, we haven't cracked the Super Bowl for Doritos. If anyone's got an idea, show me tomorrow. And he's like screaming us from the balcony. And that night, um, my credit partner in the time and I just like wrote a bunch of things like that's just your shot. And that was the thing that got us totally in the door in terms of like, I mean, essentially it was my first big TV ad in my career and it happened to be the Super Bowl, which was super lucky, but it was just taking a stab at something that was kind of like finding a brief on a printer. You know, you just, you just have a crack at it. What ad was that, Laura? Uh, that one was uh, the Peter Dinklage rap battle against Morgan Freeman. Holy shit. Yeah. That was your first ad. That was essentially my first tv ad and oh my god we're not we shot at um pinewood studios where they shoot uh star wars and yeah all the bond film yeah you know you're british you get it i was just it was the most bizarre experience because i walked in and i you know my partner and i at the time were like essentially the creatives leading it and i was like who the fuck let us in why are we here like i remember just being so overwhelmed by it but so excited but yeah it was it was bizarre so on on set then Yep. You don't yep. you don't like the way that Morgan Freeman is busting out <laughs> some of those tunes. Uh, Do you well, we really Morgan, didn't Morgan, like have you got a minute, Morgan, Morgan? Come here, darling. Come here, Morgan. Um <laughs> Yeah. Do you say, hold on a second? This is not how I envisaged it. Can I have a bit more Shawshank, no. please? <laughs> yeah, yeah. More Morgan, more Shawshank. Uh yeah. Less less deep impact. Um, although, although, although his best role, which my, uh, my friend actually told him that was her favorite movie that he did. And he said, why? Um, but yeah, it's so, it's so intimidating telling people, anyone, whether it's a celebrity like Morgan Freeman or your wave director, like what you think, if you're thinking the opposite to them, or you need to give them feedback. But I've come to like go under this rule that I've given myself is like, Present Laura will not go through anything as bad as future Laura is going to have to go through. Like I think about myself in the future now, like I'm going to be sitting in the edit and I didn't get that line or I didn't get that shot or we didn't get the thing that I'm worried about right now and then I'm totally screwed. So I try to think about the future and the present kind of like that. I'm like whatever awkwardness I'm about to go through right now is going to be worth it. One of the themes that has come up in the other people we've talked to and yeah, I think a little bit of what you were talking about is um, there's an element of fake it till you make it when you have kind of yes. imposter syndrome, right? You kind oh of have God. this inner turmoil here and you're just like, I'm just going to pretend to be someone else who knows that, who actually knows what they're doing when deep inside I know that I'm not. Is that something that you found yourself helps you get you through it? You just kind of oh, front it out? I think faking it till you make it works because you're essentially just showing up with the confidence you need to convince people, you know? And for, for me, the bit where you can take away the fake part is if you actually really love what you're doing or you really love the idea and you've worked on this fucking idea for four months or whatever right so the bit of turning up and just showing even if you're faking it you believe in it I think is really really convincing and like I I like love when people um 
are really honest in presentations and like even in meetings, like I try and tell my juniors when they're presenting work, think of it less as if this is a boardroom where you're trying to get this person's approval and they have to say yes or no, which is kind of how you believe you think selling a script feels like or selling a concept feels like. But really it's about have a really engaging conversation where you're really convincing because you actually really care about this and you should have, you've been having fun coming up with these ideas and just convince them that you, this is a fun thought. This is something you really care about. And that just changes the dynamic of a presentation to something where like, okay, you believe in it. So even if you're nervous and you have to fake the confidence. Laura, I wanted to ask you about working in a foreign market and something that Graham will be able to talk to as well and how much of that you have to, that that, that you are kind of like an imposter to to understanding what this market actually needs and will respond to given the fact that you're not actually there. How do you get around that? What's your, What's the voice inside your oh head God. telling you when you're pretending you understand what, <laughs> what's going through the minds of people in the Midwest? Well, actually, the first brief we ever worked on when we came over was for the NFL. I don't give a shit about sport in Australia, let alone the American ones. And I think actually the ignorance that we had allowed us to come up with the idea that we ended up selling, which you don't understand the culture yet, to your point. Like, I don't know what NFL fans care about. I don't know, like, what it feels like to go to a stadium game in America. And all those insights are what makes ideas about passion points, like, so great. We don't have any of them. I remember the, we were just, literally at some point, it was for Tostitos, a chip brand, like a tortilla chip brand in America. And I just Googled chip NFL literally those two words I was like just it was like midnight day before the presentation like let's just see what this comes up with sure enough there was a coach called Chip Kelly from the Philadelphia Eagles um and so we ended up creating a campaign called the official chip of the NFL and it was about him wanting to battle a bag of chips to be the official chip of the NFL so <laughs> stupid and it came from a dumb a dumb night before Google exercise and it was again it's like kind of a stupidity of being on the outside and being the imposter that you just like put on a bit of a camouflage and just gave it a crack and it kind of worked so dumb. did you walk to the window did you walk to the window and then dramatically <laughs> turn around and go it's stupid but it just might work <laughs> <laughs> I do that all the time, mate. There's plenty, plenty of windows in our office to have that actual moment. Don't worry. Yeah, it's so, it was so stupid. That's, but the American way of doing things just hit you over the head. Like my, my first creative director there was Eric Kalman, who did all the old Spice work. You know, and he said to me, Laura, stop putting the tagline at the end of the ad. I was like, okay, that feels like the thing that I learned to do though in advertising. He's like, be get comfortable with saying the product in the upfront, saying it at the end, and then just go crazy in the middle. And he was just like, be unapologetic about the fact that this is an ad. And then, you know, you see that in his Skittles work and his Old Spice work. And so like, that was a big learning curve for me. Like, okay, permission to say things up front, have fun with it and and then get out at the end. Whereas like, I guess Australian and not even British advertising, you sort of see that theme of like, be ambiguous. And then you hit them with the line at the end. It's just a very different way to do things. And it took, it took a little bit of time to like, kind of figure that out. But some of those like outsider moments like Chip Kelly and things like that honestly help you help you fit fit in, ironically. That's really good advice. I've got one question, then unfortunately I've got I'm gonna have to leave you in the hands of Michael. But um oh, no. one of the things that sort of sneaking suspicions is that imposter syndrome isn't all bad. You know, it can feel mm. pretty terrible on the inside, but actually it can be kind of a superpower and maybe the good people have it more than more than yep. the others. I mean, do you think that sometimes that, you know, that fear is not something to be feared, but something to kind of embrace in a way, you know, change your relationship to it, that when you feel it, it's not, can be a bad thing, but not always, maybe? Yes. I love this question. I, 
I think it's totally true. I think that insecurity is so healthy. It's so healthy in this industry because I, I feel like, you know, Rich Silverstein, who still works today, he's 74 years old, he comes to work. He's been coming to the building every single day, even during COVID. Um, and he, he is... He turns up to every brief like he's a giddy intern. Every single brief, he's got his name on the door. He's he owns he owns the company. You know, he's like probably the most one of the most prolific advertising people of our generation. And he still is insecure. Like he still rings me rings me for advice. So he rings other people. And I see when he presents work, he like obviously does it with this amazing infectious tone. But he still doubts himself. And like I've I feel like. I feel like it's just a relationship you have with your creative insecurity that you harness and turn that into like the reason why you work harder and the reason why you keep getting up early or keep staying late and figuring out how to solve it because you're always worried that it's not good enough. And like, I think, unfortunately, it's what drives us to be great. And it's like something that we have to, we have to kind of wrestle with and live with because it's going to be a part of us, that insecurity. You just can't let it stop you from trying really. That's where it starts to win, you know? Um, but so I think it's a it's, it's a superpower. I think if you can figure out how it how it works for you and not against you. So Laura, um, this has been great. We're going to wrap it up. But before we do, <laughs> is there anything on this subject you wanted to talk about? Is there anything you wanted to say that that you haven't had the chance to? Hey, I think it's true that feeling like an imposter actually makes you work harder. And I think it's okay to also celebrate when you don't feel like an imposter when you finally have those moments which you do have where you're like I deserve to be here I've earned my place here my idea is the strongest the way I'm presenting it is clear like find moments as much as you might feel insecure as an imposter that you have earned it and make sure that you celebrate those moments like there are going to be those moments of clarity where you deserve it you know and you know that you deserve it so I think it's healthy to celebrate we're so hard on ourselves not yeah you know we really are we're tough on each other yeah Hey, Laura, this has been amazing. Good to talk to you again. Laura, you too, Knox. I love it. Thank you. Thank you for having me. We have a saying on Imposterous, which is um, you're creative, you are loved, and you belong. So don't let anyone, you know, tell you differently. I love that, Knox. I want to put that on a T-shirt. Thank you very much for listening to The Imposterous. Apart from our fine, imposterous guests, none of this would have been possible without the help of the following wonderful frauds. Firstly, Andrew Stevenson at We Love Jam Studios, best music and sound house in Australia. Without his help, this would have been a series of WhatsApp messages with emoji responses. And also Hilton Moday, who has graced us with his theme music that you're listening to now. If you would like to catch up on all the other podcasts in The Imposterous series, visit theimposterous.com. Here you can also get in touch with us via email.